Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, you can catch up on recent podcast episodes across our network. This week alone, Sean Fennessy ranked the top 10 movies of the decade on The Big Picture. Mallory Rubin argued that we should be eating Thanksgiving meals every day of the year on The Hottest Take. Daryl Morey talked about the Houston Rockets' near finals appearance on The Book of Basketball. And The Rewatchables covered the best Bond film of all time, Skyfall. You can listen to these episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and happy Thanksgiving from The Ringer. Ringer FC. This is Danny Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief at The Ringer. I'm here on the West Coast in LA, joined by my colleagues. To my left, the one and only Chris Ryan. I feel like I'm in one of those Legends 11s, you know? Like when you come on and you're like in your 40s and you just do like 15 minutes out at the Emirates. Is it like a testimonial? Yeah, kind of. That's kind of sad. Uh, to my right, I have Connor Nevins. What's up, Tony? Happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of things. The Champions League action we just witnessed. Most importantly, the Pochettino sacking and the Jose Mourinho hiring at Tottenham Hotspur. But first, let's talk about the match we just watched at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid 2, PSG 2. Pulsating match. We had us up on our feet in the studio. What say you, Connor? Yeah, it was a, it was a great match. And obviously, we're going to make everyone annoyed by starting it off by talking about VAR. Uh, there's really nowhere else to begin. I mean, Madrid were amazing at the start. Should have been up 2-3 early on. Um, and then there was just an incident towards the end of the first half where Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois took down, um, was initially shown a red for a foul on Icardi in the box. Uh, referee went back to check it. And at, at first, it sounded like he was just, seemed like he was going to check to see if it was in the box. It was kind of on the edge. Clearly a foul in the box. Clearly a, cl- a clear goal-scoring opportunity. It was shades of Lehman on A2 in France, 2006, that's a, I'd have to say. That is a, that, that's, wow, a, that's a way-back a machine right there, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then they, he called it back, and he, and he ended up um, you know, spotting a push in the back on Adrisa Gea Marcelo early in the move that set up the counterattack and basically invalidated everything that happened after that, and we had to forget everything that— uh, Followed it and how cool would it be kick. if we could just go back in time and just apply VAR to all the? I was thinking amazing. that it crossed my mind when I thought of Lehman because <laughs> I thought of it in the moment. I also have a take on VAR, which is well, there's many takes to be had on VAR, but that the pushing in the back is now kind of being heavily litigated by VAR. And you saw it actually in the Liverpool match against Palace. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, that was in the box, but players used to get away with those little slide two handed shoves, they're not getting away with it anymore. I mean, you're allowed to put your hands on another individual in it's the, the game, pu- it's in the, the pushing flow. motion. It's the pushing motion, and Marcelo fell. But it was also an instance where the referee clearly made a hand signal where he waved him on, so he saw it. And, you know, and that, that was gently one of those where you've seen enough of these decisions where you're like, well, I hadn't actually seen that before. Right. Where the referee actually used his discretion, didn't make a call, and then actually called the, uh, called the playback. Yeah, to, I mean, good thing it was in a group stage match. That doesn't really matter. But Benzema scored two goals. PSG came roaring back. Courtois to Howler, Mbappe scored. Which is why it's it's kind of a shame to even talk about it because the second half was when everything just kind of turned too. It became a it was a, an incredible game. They brought in Neymar at halftime. The prodigal son. He, <laughs> he he changed the complexion of the game for PSG in the second half. Uh, it looked like Benzema had kind of put them up two nothing, done and dusted, uh, and then. Courtois, who probably maybe Madrid would have been better off if he was not in the game, kind of spilled one out there. Um, the PSG pulled it within 2-1 and then an incredible finish towards the end, uh, incredible goal at the end where Sarabia scored. And 
and it looked like it, 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 for the last 10 minutes or so, it looked like either team could have walked out of there with three points. And then the dramatic moment at the death, free kick for Real Madrid, just outside the box, Gareth Bale, the much maligned Gareth Bale could not have hit that any better. I mean, immediately once it left his foot, I just said. Actually, the the ball was in the air, and Connor said, "That's good. It's good." Like Steph Curry calling a three so cleanly. Um, He was good for the narrative. He was walking. He was walking off. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what the celebration would have been like there. But (laughs) Wales is Gareth Bale. (laughs) (laughs) He would have done Wales Madrid golf. Switch the order. He would have had a little kind of yeah a golf celebration, but. So PSG and Madrid are both going through in Group A. The other big match today was Jose Mourinho's first match as Tottenham manager at home. Olympiacos jumped out to a 2-0 lead within, I think, 21 or 22 minutes. Spurs came storming back, four unanswered. Uh, I think two from Kane. I don't remember who else scored the goals, but they won 4-2. So Jose now 2-0. Much maligned Serge Aurier got a goal in there, too. He did. Beautiful volley. Kevin Clark was saying in our Slack that Serge Aurier is now an elite right back, which... It's a good bit. It's a good bit, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I asked him elite at what? But I mean, you know, quality finish. Uh, so Jose is now 2-0 uh-huh. as Tottenham manager. Let's just, the rest of the Champions League results, City tied with Shakhtar 1-1, uh, Juve beat Atletico 1-0, but all the favorites are going through. So let's pivot now to Tottenham Hotspur. Last week, Mauricio Pochettino, after five and a half seasons mm-hmm. at the club, was unceremoniously sacked. Jose Mourinho, within 24 hours, was hired. Rather Cri- ceremoniously. Rather yeah. ceremoniously. Chris, I know you have a lot of mood takes, but let's just start with Pochettino being fired. Was that a just fate? Well, my favorite kind of uh, uh, you know English soccer story is one that has multiple sides that get leaked through the press. And I thought it was really like a fascinating week of, at first it was like, obviously Pochettino taking this team as far as he could under Dan- Daniel Levy's like iron rule. And then slowly but surely, you start getting the counter-narratives coming out about how he had been sulking since the Champions League and all the players had stopped listening to him. And he had basically been putting himself in the shop window to get hired by other places and talking about how, you know, he would be interested in new challenges and stuff like that. I love how, like, teams will brief different papers on certain narratives and managers and their agents will brief different papers on certain narratives. So it's been really fascinating to see this play out. You, you can choose to believe that Levy just decided to get rid of Poch, or you can choose to believe that this was more or less an amicable divorce that turned unamicable because Poch was like, I am not quitting. I want my buyout. Um, but either way, we wind up with the, one of the most interesting stories of the season so far, which is Mourinho not in a top dog slot, in a kind of underdog chip on his shoulder, a club that's always kind of felt second best in North London, to say nothing of England. And uh, what kind of attitude he brings to Tottenham, I, I'm so fascinated to see it. He's saying all the right things, and you can clearly see that he's—and there's been some reports, too, that he's gone on a bit of a press tour, mm-hmm. a publicity tour himself, where he's he's learning how to kind of uh, funnel his own narrative. He's he's learned the lessons from his past failings. He's He understands how to adapt, you know, how to um, how to relate to the to the modern player, but— um, I mean, in some ways, Poch set him up perfectly. Right. He's got incredible talent playing way below their level. You know, and anything he does is going to be in the positive for this season. I mean, when, you know, Mourinho obviously was a Sky Sports pundit before returning to management. And I had clipped this and tweeted it prior to the season in August. He had mentioned, you know, like who can contend for the title. And he had Spurs in there. Uh, Man City, Liverpool, Spurs. And then he said Man City's B team. I mean, kind of being (laughs) facetious. But he's obviously graded this squad highly. And I guess once you get the past the initial surprise of Jose being at Tottenham, it does seem like it could be a good fit. Well, it's exciting. 
It's exciting because yeah. I think that we've look I, anybody who's followed. I I pretty much got into following the game right as he was rising right. at Chelsea and right as he had come over from Porto to England. So that's like around 0405 is when I started really following the English game. And so he's been a constant of my soccer watching life for the last 15 years. And, you know, he's never been lovable. You know, he was he was the evil prince when he arrived in Chelsea, upsetting the apple cart. His spells at Inter and Real were very successful, but pretty much dominated by this kind of like he hated the press he hated the rest of the league he was a poor sport poking guys in the eyes playing this anti-football park the bus bullshit this is a real chance for him to somewhat redeem his reputation because i do think you know at the best the best version of him can get a lot out of a little and he has more than a little at tottenham he's rejuvenated and i think he he needs a he needs a useful foil he needs an adversary and he needs to create that kind of controversy to kind of motivate himself and I think I don't think he had that at Manchester United I think that's even where Daniel Levy might be good for him too like Ed Woodward was just not it was 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 not a was not at his level you know he was punching down Jose was punching down when he was kind of taking shots at him and I think that that might be good for him to have someone even if it does get contentious and Don, if, yeah I mean like I think that the rap on him was that if you hire him you're going to need to also have a quarter of a billion euros in transfer funds immediately available for him to remake the squad but we don't know that for sure. That's just what he did at United. He walked right. in and was just like, this is shit. I need all new players. And no, I don't and particularly th- want to develop your teenagers. The, the squad he's inheriting at Tottenham, one would argue, is better than the squad he inherited at Old Trafford. Yeah, I would definitely make more that complete, argument. Yeah, and, and more continuity. Too, I think, you know, maybe Inter is his stint at Inter is a better, you know, is a better kind of uh, parallel for what he's going through now because, you know, he that's more about like you said, just taking guys who clearly weren't responding to whatever voice was in the locker room and getting them to raise their level again. There was also a unity in uh, Mourinho's personality and the team's personality to enter in a way that hasn't happened yeah. since then, where it was like he had guys like Matarazzi, guys like Eto, who he was like, you will play fullback for me to <laughs> Samuel Eto, And he was mm-hmm. like, hell yeah, I yeah, will. If we win the trouble, them. I will. And he hasn't had that kind of buy-in in a while. Uh, it's been fascinating to sort of see how he has been pretty open about, like, I do not expect to have, like, a full boat of transfers coming in in January. I understand this is the team I have. And he's even singing from the Daniel Levy hymn book on Ericsson, where he seems to just be kind of like, look, he has to decide, like, how much he wants to commit to this team for now. We're not talking about the future. We're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ericsson, though, did feature today, came in at the half and had an assist. Yeah. So It's the perfect switch, too, because Poach— was such a demanding manager when it came to the physicality of the team. Everything was predicated on high up-the-field pressing. Mourinho is at least notoriously like a more conservative manager, although from what I understand has a couple of different people in his back room this time around. No Rui Feria. Like he's got like this guy who I think was at Lille Mm -hmm. uh, and and is is perhaps going to introduce some new tactical ideas. So I'll be really interested to see that. But... um, you know, when's the next North London Derby? <laughs> it's coming up. Yeah, I think two two things I'd add to that. I mean, one, the question of the transfers. I think he's saying the right things now. We're going to find out real quick. But he couldn't have gone into this job under any other impression. You know what I mean? Like, every, yeah. it's like you go to United, literally there is no price tag that you can't match. So I'm sure he was just like, this is maddening. Why won't you just buy me Harry Maguire? I'm asking for him. Just go, be, Just go pay the fee. And then as soon as I leave, you go get him. Here, it's like... I, it, there cannot be any mystery as to whether or not he has the money out there to go get um, 
you know, Timo Werner or something like that. Like he knows what he's got. Yeah. And I think that underdog sort of, you know, relatively nar- narrative suits him. And I think that that's why. Well, so he signed a four year contract and everybody knows it goes to shit in the third year. Uh, he's on 15 million pounds a year, reportedly a 2 million bonus if they make it for the they qualify for the Champions League next season. I mean, what are the odds that you see Mourinho living out this four years with Tottenham? Oh, what were the odds that you ever saw him do- joining Tottenham in the first yeah. place? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you it, said, it goes to Am shit I crazy to think that this is like actually going to really has the makings of a beautiful marriage? Well, I mean, early days, obviously. Connor, presumably he could have waited it out for PSG. He could have waited it out to see what happened with Juve. He could have waited it out to see if Inter opened up again, if Conte left mm-hmm. after butting heads with the ownership there like he seems to be. He clearly kicked There's the a lot of big jobs out there. He could have gone back to Real. I, I think he loves living in London. I actually. think he does. I mean, yeah. I think that that's a that's a he was living in a hotel in Manchester, and I think like you know, yes, that the the challenge wasn't kind of to his liking, but you know, he was just unhappy. I, I, he just seemed like he was bored and he was unhappy. I think this has he's relishing this opportunity a little bit too, but I still think I mean, again, it, it's all these things kind of play into one where he is a guy that needs to. You know he's going to need to go in there and he's going to find a few guys that he's going to take under his wing and just make his guys. He's also going to do the opposite with a couple of guys. He's going to find a few guys and he's going to kind of put them on the fringe. He's going to isolate them and he's going to make them, you know, he's going to kind of create this kind of, uh, you know, scapegoat them for whatever, you know, past regime failings and all of those things. But the the fact then remains, too, that you can't bring in He's going to be very limited in the resources that he can to bring in people. I like the idea that there's like, you know, Mourinho said that Manchester City's B squad could win the Premier League. I like the idea of (laughs) Mourinho's, like the guys that Mourinho fell out with could win the Champions League. (laughs) The De Bruyne, Mo Salah. Is it fair to say they fell out? Okay, but like he either didn't get much out of them, didn't see the point like yeah. I mean the De Bruyne very stuff early on yeah that they're not his guy he's he's argued that like De Bruyne and Salah like that he he wasn't wrong on them that they just weren't necessarily like the guys for that moment but uh a team of, of you know a front line of Martial De Bruyne and Salah would pretty much be the favorites you know in any in any, any league in the world right Pogba. now yeah Pogba um get a little eager and key in, <laughs> in the net let me ask you guys something this is one thing I really wanted to discuss are you as Gunners fans, scared of Mourinho, annoyed that you don't have Mourinho on your bench, or indifferent? Terrified. <laughs> Ter- I'm terrified that he's there. Yeah. I, I would but say, also, but I also would say too, and Donny, I've talked about this. I did not want him for Arsenal. Yeah, see, that's the thing, Chris. When you mentioned before Mourinho not being lovable, I, I don't know if lovable is the adjective I'd use, but his charisma. Mm-hmm. I think is, you know, I mean, the British media, of course, eat it up. But, I, you know, I love having him in the Premier League. And I was really getting into the idea, the mindfuck of him being the manager of the Arsenal. Because, you know, the, you know, there were rumors, obviously, before he went to Tottenham. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm terrified of him. But I, unlike Connor, I would have been happy to welcome him to replace Emery. It's a real, he may be a bastard, but at least he's our bastard yeah, kind of thing yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah I mean, you Chelsea fans still hold him in high regard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, it really, if he had managed Liverpool for a spell, you might have a different feeling. Or- I can never understand with him because he's said a couple of times that there are certain clubs in England that he just can't manage. In, and I, I don't know. I mean, there would never be a Manchester United manager that managed at Liverpool. I, yeah. I still think. Yeah. And now he'll yeah. never manage Ar- Arsenal either. You know, I still think that those, there are certain boundaries that can't be crossed. His response, though, when he, they brought up his comment about never managing Tottenham, he would say, you know, that was before I got sacked. Right. Right. And he just kind of smiled. Right. I mean, he is, he is, he is well, a gem. Well, back to the idea of Mourinho's guys, quote unquote, you know, for Spurs, 
a lot of people are pointing at Eric Dyer, uh, who is a person that kind of fell out of favor with Pochettino, who Mourinho reportedly wanted to buy at United. Uh, he, you know, Dyer started the first two matches of Jose's reign at Tottenham. Uh, also, Deli Ali is someone that's kind of not been at his best in the last season or so. I think Deli Ali is the one to watch. Dyer, I think, is the obvious choice because he has that kind of you know, destroyer quality that Mourinho always likes and probably could be useful in that time. And speaks Portuguese fluently. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I think Deli Ali is the one, because he's the one that's probably most indicative of just the malaise and the stagnation that's kind of set into that squad. Because Tottenham, you know, they have made up for the fact that they haven't brought in reinforcements for the fact that every player in that roster has raised their level each year. You know, everyone, the the squad, the talent, uh, the quality in the squad has gotten better every year. And a lot of that is due to Pochettino, but a lot of that is due to the fact that they just have really good players who are all in this kind of cycle of progression uh, in similar times. Deli Ali, I don't think that that he's he's plateaued somehow through injuries, through whatever reason of the last. 18 months or yeah. so. And he's the one where I think that that's when he seems like he's kind of got that personality where he needs, it's not so much that he needs kind of a tactical position or he just needs someone to go in there and just kind of light a fire under his ass a little bit. Well, we were talking about Mourinho possibly evolving as a manager. Uh, you know, obviously small sample size, two matches in charge. They scored seven goals. It was a 3-2 over West Ham over the weekend in the league, 4-2 today. Do you think Jose gets a little unfairly maligned as like an overly defensive manager or a park the bus type of guy. I and, think and that's that why a lot of lack fans of, don't want him. I like think that. his lack of success with United, who were seemingly a great attacking side in the making, went a long way towards towards that. Also, his his reputation with Real, given the the striking talent he had on that side, although they did quite well under him. Um I would also say just look at what Solskjaer's done since Mourinho left, and it's not like they've set the world on fire, uh, and they still can't defend. So for me, it's like I, I I think it's more about Mourinho being the kind of manager like Ferguson was to basically reinvent his tactical systems over this time and still use his man management uh, as his like kind of as his forward progress. It, it's basically using his man management as his as his calling card, but always remixing the tactics in the background. Yeah. Just a word on Pochettino yeah. um, and where he might go next. First of all— Kind of I'll, the mirror image. It's kind of like the flip where it's like Mourinho's now dropping down a level and the assumption is that Poch is going to jump up a level. Here. Right, right. So he went from Southampton to Spurs and presumably his next job might be with a European power. I was talking actually on the day that he was sacked with my colleague Ben Glixman in New York who doesn't follow soccer, but we were just talking about who is like the American coach equivalent of Pochettino— and we came up with, let me see what you guys think of this, Brad Stevens. Mm. Like, say Brad Stevens and the Celtics had started really poorly this season. You know, he had kind of an idea and a plan that's been building over subsequent seasons but fell apart. Then he got let go. How attractive would he be in the coaching free market? I think he's got the quality of a guy. Is that is that no no, Brad I, I think it, for, for me, he's closer to Tibbs, to Tom Thibodeau, where he has a very physically demanding system. Mm-hmm. That more if it's, dogmatic, maybe. That it's, if it's executed correctly, yeah. we'll get results relatively fast. I mean, it took him a while, but he was able to basically wring out all the talent from a Bulls roster and make Derrick Rose into an MVP and then bring Jimmy Butler along. And he was really good with like this core group. Clashed with the front office a lot, as Poach did with Levy. And then eventually kind of his voice st- stopped, stopped meaning anything to the team around him and he was let, let go. It'll be interesting to see. Tibbs obviously went to Minnesota, got the president coach job, had the full boat. 
which is a possibility for Poach. Like if he goes to Real, if he goes to Bayern, I mean, he won't have that much power at those clubs because those clubs have such like active front offices. But it'll be a real test of whether his system works for the overdog rather than the underdog. Yeah, so Connor Bayern, Real, the clubs that Chris is mentioning, I mean, those guys, if they don't win trophies, it's I, well, a failed season. Pochettino, no trophies. If, if we're to be believed, if, if, if the, you know, kind of the reports that trickled out are to be believed that he was, he was angling for some of those jobs. I think he was waiting, he was hoping, thinking that one of those jobs was going to come open and he probably could, he probably waited a little too long if, mm-hmm. if that was his intention because those jobs came open and he passed. Um, and then when it came through, when it came time again, we was probably ready to jump at, and his, uh, at the highest level, he just didn't take the opportunity. Seems like he could have had the United job too, potentially. Yeah. And, and, and Madrid was open, you know, twice at least during the time of his, his ascents. I, you do wonder, it's not so much just kind of the, the overdog underdog, it's it's the communication and the actual messaging to players at that level. Because mm-hmm. it's easy to do it when you have guys who are kind of on the up, who are young, who are kind of not making, when you have a superstar kind of locker room. And that's where I think, that that's where Mourinho, the fascinating kind of juxtaposition of Mourinho's career is, because he can do both. He can kind of go into a locker room with guys and kind of convince them that they're no one believes in them and that they have so so much to prove. And then he can walk into a locker room and be like, I'm more important of superstars and say, I'm more the most important person in this room. Yeah, I think it works both ways, right? Like yeah. when it's going if it's not going perfectly but is going well, he can absorb any pressure that's on the team. And he yeah. was so good at that at Chelsea. They would draw with a team and he would walk out and just start raging about the other manager, the other team's manager and the press and the refs. And all of a sudden you stop thinking about John Terry slipping. You know what I mean? It it goes both ways, though. So if he does that, he also draws all the attention to himself. And guys like Paul Pogba or guys like uh, Marcus Rashford might be like, what the fuck is like, I'm I'm a pretty important player. I'd like to get some attention as well. Um, I heard on the, uh, on the continent podcast over last week when this just happened, they were talking about how if you're Manchester United, you should break the bank to get Pochettino right now, because mm-hmm. otherwise there could be upwards of half a dozen marquee European jobs open when the summer hits, because you could see PSG, Juventus, Bayern, Real, um, and possibly, I mean, possibly other jobs all be in contention for Poch's services with not that many marquee managers available. Yeah. I mean, the problem, I guess, if you call it a problem, is that United have been winning as of late or turned their season somewhat around. Mm-hmm. So, that you know, the time to fire him probably would have been like a month ago. No, you go in, you say, yeah. Old Trafford, you pick your own technical director. Woodward gets out of your business. We have all the money in the world to get anybody you want, 70 million pound shirt sponsor whatever name your price name your price name name, like you basically write the deal five-year deal and we give you 10 million a year or whatever yeah i guess it could still happen this summer conceivably i mean do you think pochettino would ever come to the emirates uh i I, again i I think i think to your point i I think he's gonna have his. why do you say no i think he's gonna have his choice of jobs and you know when those jobs line up the way that Chris has described, the Emirates is going to be. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to leave London. Not in the top five. Yeah. Why would he? Go, does Arsenal have more money than Tottenham? At they, this point, they've spent more, and, and their stadiums paid for. Ah, it's such a toxic atmosphere. You really going to? I don't think he does that because yeah. I think that I think that just resurfaces. He he go, he comes back to the place that he left, and I don't think he doesn't strike me as the kind of that, that that wouldn't be healthy for him. I that also think be. that he probably holds Tottenham in slightly higher regard than that as a club to go coach their arch rivals as his next job. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And I think he's ready to prove himself. I, yeah. I, I think he I think he was really expecting. I, I think his next job is going to be one of those top four or five jobs that Chris described. All right, on that note, we'll take a quick break and come back and talk about the rest of the Premier League. 
there are always more ways to win on FanDuel Sportsbook. And it's easy to get your winnings when you want them. With FanDuel Sportsbook's cash-out feature, you can end your bet early and claim your cash with the push of a button. Plus, FanDuel's fast payouts mean you can get your winnings in your pocket in as little as 24 hours. Money lines, spreads, totals, parlays, props, teasers, and more, FanDuel Sportsbook has tons of bet types available every single day. Plus, they always offer unique betting promos to spice up game day, like boosted odds, score bonuses, and parlay insurance. With so much to bet on across 17 different sports, FanDuel Sportsbook is sure to have a wager that's right for you. And best of all, you can place your first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free. If you lose, you'll get a refund of up to $500 in site credit. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app with promo code RINGERFC to bet from anywhere in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. If you lose your first bet within seven days of signing up, FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund of up to $500 in site credit. That's promo code R-I-N-G-E-R-F-C. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. First online wager only. Site credit expires in 14 days. Cash out not available in all markets. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And we're back. We have to talk about Liverpool. Chris's beloved Liverpool. All right, man. Uh, another match. I feel like I come won. on all the time and I'm like, <laughs> let's talk about Liverpool. Eight points clear at the top. Another match that was won in cloppage time. Uh, did you know that Liverpool have won? Is that where we're eight, going with? Cloppage time? Eight points. You know that I'm on a text message thread with Zach Schwartz and Ryan O'Hanlon. I do, I do know that. Employees, and we talk about crybabies talking about how Liverpool's win is going to be tainted by the worst refereeing ever and all this cloppage time bullshit. I mean, they have been on the right side of VAR uh, a disproportionate number of times this season. You mm. need luck, though, to it's win curious to win what leagues. he's saying. Yeah, sure. Anyway, Liverpool have won eight points in the 85th minute or later, including at Selhurst Park. Um, Chris, you watched the match, yeah? Yeah, I did. Uh, this is the world's smallest violin playing for anybody complaining about cloppage time. <laughs> if you lived through any of the Alex Ferguson era, I can't believe that It just sounds good. It rhymes. It's almost cloppage as if they're an exceptionally time. talented attacking team that yeah. just wears teams down and all of a sudden takes their chances at the end of games. Speaking of wearing people down, though, this is this is a pretty unique and tough, like, eight points clear after 13 is, like, it's really, like... You're just praying not to lose. Yeah, I'm heading into the December, which yeah. is the busiest. And, you know, they, he has definitely settled on probably it's not the best in terms of like your trans, transfer market value or, or certain statistics or even, you know, your FIFA, FIFA game player ratings. But this is the best 11 in the world probably right now. You Easy. know, it's best yeah. keeper, best fullbacks, best center back, best attacking trio, and a midfield that just does all the work. And... Um, and every player on the bench fits, brings, satisfies a, a core function in yeah. that starting 11, but also adds something a little bit different. And yeah. they won on Saturday without Salah. Yeah. And I'm petrified that any of them are going to get hurt. And it's, it's, it, when you have something that tight and the, that balanced, you, you just freak out about like, oh gosh, what happens if Gigi Wijnaldum goes down? Like, I am actually in that point yeah. where I'm like, I don't know if Ox can replace him. I don't know if Lolana can replace him. So, uh, was nobody it, wants to hear me say that because everybody's just like cloppage time. Go fuck yourself. Was but, it a little nervy on Saturday? Yeah, was it's Palace? nervy. Every, it's nervy every weekend. Yeah. it's nervy every weekend. There's no really such even like the two the two nothings three ones like they're like okay let's get to the end now. Yeah. Um. I and I 
I think the thing that's so disorienting about it is how early it is in the season. It feels like it's been a very long season, even though it's been 13 matches. Yeah, I agree. It seems like this winning streak has been going on forever. I mean, it's like, will Liverpool ever drop points? We say it every episode. Do you have feelings about the Club World Cup? Um, it should be light work if we're if the club is serious about being like a dominant world club. You know what I mean? Like, if for, on one hand, I understand the issues with like playing time and you don't want to send like Rian Brewster to go play. On the other hand, if you want to be taken seriously as like a Real Madrid, Barcelona level club, you should go out and do your business. I mean, it's a trophy. It's a trophy, yeah. Uh, Manchester City 2-1 over Chelsea. Uh, great it game. A, it was actually the lowest percentage. It's one of the best games I've seen this season. Lowest possession for a City team in the Pep Guardiola era. Uh, Connor, did you watch that one? I did. I did. It was, And, and I thought Chelsea were really good early on. Um, and City, it's just... It, that's... You wish you could see that level from them more often because then they actually could make it a make it a race. But it just it's it's yeah. Uh, it seems like it happens like three to four yeah. times a year, and then they just get shocked by like a possible. minnow every once in a while. They yeah. get shocked by like a lower league team. Uh, the most is this the most likable Chelsea team you guys have ever seen? Yes, I mean, I, I like even like, Chelsea fans would have to admit it's pretty like it's a pretty likable group of kids. Yeah, I mean, youth is always exciting and kind but of even galvanizing. Even even Willian and and Azapakwata are, yeah. are just. I mean, they they got the old heads in there. Are just really no, good. Fuck both of, of those guys. I was I always kind of like Drogba to be honest. Even when he was killing Arsenal, there's no. What, what is the math on that? You don't like William, but you like Drogba. <laughs> yeah, he's a humanitarian. Um, I mean, I like Drogba too. Drogba's great. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it didn't have to turn into a. I'm trying to think of like who my least favorite Chelsea players have been over the years, and it's like John actually Terry. It's, the list is too long. Yeah, you know, Chris, like even it, after a while, I got tired of seeing Gary Cahill. I was just like somebody. It wasn't until Robin Aaron Robin left Chelsea that I think I started to like him. It took it, took me a while yeah. to warm up to him, but those years just kind to of answer really your question. I, I definitely, of course, we have Wonder Boy, American Wonder Boy, Pulisic starting now all the time. I love Abraham, so yeah, it's definitely the most lovable Chelsea team since the heyday. Would you guys? Uh, if you're Liverpool, let's let's play a little role playing for the Arsenal fans at the table. Yeah. If you were me, would you be more scared of Manchester City or Leicester City? That was the question I was just about to ask. Oh really? Chris. Wow. Um, definitely City. Which city? Well, yeah. Oh, Manchester. <laughs> Manchester. Manchester City. Um, but I, I I I kind of can't believe what's happening at, at Leicester City, and that game's coming up soon too, right? That Liverpool game and Brendan Rodgers. Uh, yeah, and and Leicester City's. For what it's worth, they they are they are on like it's not like they're behind on uh, on goal difference here. Like they are punching with Manchester City on goal difference. I watched it, it was last week that the Leicester City played Arsenal, and it's not one of those where I you know oh you know we should be at they're they're being, like Leicester City is a better team than Arsenal at this point. They're yeah. better run. They have better. But you looked at that starting eleven, you're like oh every single player with maybe the exception of Aubameyang. I would take at Leicester in their starting eleven over over anyone. Oh else yeah, in and Didi would be like the and, like, and you look, just like look at it straight away Arsenal captain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you just so when you look at it from from you know it's it's not really the matter too because even and even during the year that they won they had Mares and Vardy and yes they had a they had a pretty solid roster up up and down but you know that starting eleven is 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 pretty incredible. Two thousand nineteen twenty or two thousand twenty twenty one Arsenal manager Brendan Brendan Rodgers who says no? I don't. Brendan says no. You think well, so? Yeah. You think, think he has a bigger budget at Leicester than he would at Arsenal? No. It's a bigger, I think, I think much Brent, higher profile. I think Brendan Rodgers is cashing in on this Leicester season, uh, season as soon as he can. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, that, job, whatever job Pochettino does not Because he doesn't want to be there when they happy. regress. 
if they sell three players and they regress at all, he doesn't want to be there like he was at Liverpool holding the bag and can't get a job at Swansea. And that's true. He is pretty upwardly mobile climber. Uh, yeah. Brendan, Brendan is. The other thing about Leicester, you know, as opposed to Liverpool and Manchester City, is they don't have any European fixtures to worry about. So mm-hmm. it's really set up for them to make an extended title run. Like Liverpool, I keep waiting for Leicester to fall off or to lose. Doesn't seem to be happening. I think they'll be around uh, until the end. They don't have a incredibly tough um, December. Uh, they get Liverpool. Well, actually, that's not true. I should, I should re-say that. They don't have a tough December until they have the toughest December possible where they get Villa and Norwich and then they have an FA Cup with Everton and then they play City on the 21st and Liverpool five days later on the 22nd. So that could be... If they come out of that with points, they'll have to be happy with them themselves. Yeah. 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 Watch this space. Anyway, we talked about Pochettino sacking earlier. Uh, there are a trio of managers on the... I don't know what's hotter than the hot seat. It's like the baking seat. Well, when they're this far down the table, isn't it just more like a, a splintery bench than yeah. a hot seat? You know, it's just itchy. <laughs> it's a splintery bench. Uh, I'm talking about Unai Emery uh, for Arsenal, Manuel Pellegrini for West Ham, Marco Silva for Everton. I can't believe Marco Silva has survived <laughs> this long because every week, every match afterwards, it's like, you know, whispers and rumors that he's about to get sacked. They've survived this far. They've outlasted Pochettino, which is something. Who of these three do you think will be first to go, if any? I think all three of them are go. All three are toast, definitely. So Emery, Sil- sorry, who are the three? Silva, Pellegrini, and, uh, and Emery. Yeah, and I checked this morning. The betting odds have them ranked in descending order of most likely to go. Most likely to go Marco Silva, second Manuel Pellegrini, third Unai Emery. And I think you know, the, the, the kind of the tiebreaker for this is just kind of the fan reaction because I think that motivates, that kind of, you know, pushes up those decisions. But each of those last three games, the reaction in the crowd was just horrendous. They, they all played home games. They all lost. Yeah. Or I guess Arsenal didn't lose. I think Everton's booing was the loudest. West Ham, I mean, West Ham was, they were, they were applauding Chelsea fans uh, chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning. And yeah. They were, and they were politely, you know, joyously applauding. And what was Tottenham fans were singing, how shit are you were winning away? Like they, <laughs> like they were just getting like completely dunked on. Uh, I, it, it's, I'm interested in, both talking about uh, Arsenal and West Ham in this context, both because, you know, obviously Arsenal's been in the Emirates Stadium for a while. They've had great nights there. So it's not like it's like some new antiseptic building. But I do think both clubs are in danger of drifting into uh, never being happy again. Like, I don't understand, like, what, uh, obviously. Never? Well, okay. It's just been, it's just, I think that partially, I, I will be honest, this is somewhat based on, like, watching YouTube fan reaction videos from both fan bases from time to time and just be like, these seem like a miserable bunch of people. And I'm sure that if my team was in eighth and we're putting up the results that we were putting up with the amount of money you're spending on certain players on your team, I would be pissed off too. But what's it going to take? Like, what's the, who's, the, who's the magic the magic solution for Arsenal? I think that's the, the lingering effect of the whole Wenger out, Wenger out thing is just... This malaise, this kind of has has become this permanent kind of mood, this state of condition that's set, settled into the club, where it's almost it's it's almost become part of the identity is just to bitch and moan, and I and I, it's gotten to the point where it's pretty toxic, and it's you have to almost separate that from the actual evaluation of what Emery's performance is Venger and in? whether or not. <laughs> I mean, Bring to Chris's Venger point, in. Venger is caretaker for the rest of the season. To Chris's point, I think worse. Worse than the anger is apathy. And I think that it's drifting towards apathy for some fans. Um, 
I think that there, I mean, like, I would have to look at numbers. I mean, we can look at places like Swiss Ramble for revenue numbers. You can look at, you, you can, there's much more informed people than me. But it's not cheap to go to Arsenal Stadium. No. You know, and you're talking about an era uh, in the in global, in sports globally, where your attachment to a team is really, like, it's not local and regional as much as it is just taste-wise. Right. And It's a choice. Know, we know just from being around, like, the Ringer offices how many fans of PSG and Man City we see, like, on a relatively regular basis. You know, the idea of getting into football and being, like, you know, either you're from North London and you have like a familial reason to cheer for Arsenal or you've just gotten into Arsenal. It's a long time from Thierry Henry. No. You know what yeah. I mean? It's been a, why, you, what, why did you guys get into the Arsenal? It was the first season I ever watched in English Premier League was when you had that Fox Soccer channel. It was the Invincible season. Well. And you just thought that's what it's supposed to <laughs> look know, like. As a fan of the Washington football team, it's like a, a similar thing. I mean, obviously Arsenal hasn't gone down this far yet, but it's like the legacy. How long does the legacy hold up? Mm-hmm. The name, were, the brand yeah, name. Yeah, I think in some ways. I guess in, the Knicks too. Th- they were a mood. They were a vibe. They were kind of a, you yeah. know, they, they were the idea of what you know, that kind of style was supposed to be. And now they're, they're a mood and they're a vibe and it's, it's and, just kind and of a And so many of, of, of Wenger's blueprints and so many of the things that I think people turn to Arsenal for, like, sumptuous, energetic, youthful football and watching these teams, whether it was with, like, Wilshire and Ramsey or Henri Lansbury or mm-hmm. all these, like, kids that they brought <laughs> Henri up. Lansbury. Dude, but, like, I used to, when I would watch, like, Carlin Cup games and, like, <laughs> Arsenal would bring out 10, 19-year-olds who looked they like they were going to be. Guys. I know, but they were, like, there were the promise and like that they, they seemed indoctrinated into a style of football already at that age. It seemed like a London version of Barca to some extent. And mm-hmm. now it's gotten so far away from that. And it just seems like the loudest voices in the room are the people who are the most angry at the football Troops club. Troops in DT. That's Shout right. out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I would say that Arsenal, you know, despite how uh, they've been in the Emery era. It, the team is set up, I think, and has enough youth in the squad for someone to walk in, whoever it is, and succeed. Of course, yeah. And that, that's why I think the answer to your original question is who goes first is I think it's Pellegrini because I think that that Tottenham game was all about Jose, obviously, and they made the score. They kind of flattered themselves with that score line, but that was just, that was pretty abject. Can you guys think of a single manager that would, like, fix West Ham? Is there, is it, because I don't think it's a managerial question. Mark there. Noble? <laughs> no, you're right. It's 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 not. Um, it, it, David Moyes, bring him back. Yeah, but you can't fire the players, right? right. So at some point, yeah. I mean, it's and and you know, are, are they going to kind of? I mean, they're in that point now too, though. Where and Everton, you know, kind of is too. When you look at the table, I mean, they're only a couple of points above the drop. Where both of those teams, I think, have benefited just by virtue of their mm-hmm. largesse of always never being in danger of relegation, always being in that middle zone. Well, Chris was just talking about Leicester's next stretch of games. Let me read off to you Everton's next stretch of games. At Leicester, at Anfield, home to Chelsea, at Old Trafford, League Cup against Leicester, at Arsenal. I'm sorry, home to Arsenal. So they're basically playing all big six teams in the next... He's not going to get through this month. Yeah, I mean... Because he's not going to... They're not going to be... They're not going to get anything off of... um, Leicester or Liverpool. It might have been an argument not to fire him now because you don't want to put your new manager in the fire like that immediately with a Can run you of afford games. It? Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the Mourinho hiring. There's just no way that Jose Mourinho gets hired after 48 hours. Like, they obviously were talking to his agent from before that. Totally. That things have been going wrong at Tottenham for a while. Perhaps that's why Tottenham wasn't playing well. Perhaps that's why Pochettino mm-hmm. was in a funk was because he knew that these, this thing was coming. But... um I don't know, like, if, if if Everton has a better idea, they should pull the trigger. 
And I would say that we might look back four or five years from now, depending on what happens to the Arsenal, and be like, man, they should have gotten Tuchel when they had the chance. Like, they should have gone for the mm-hmm. guy when they were still a Champions League football club. And, yeah. you know, we, they were they could have transitioned from Wenger to another exciting, tactically-minded manager. And I guess Umer, Emery has success in the past. And you guys Some were fans the, say that about Klopp. You guys were Klopp, in the Klopp. Europa League final. Like, I mean, like, it's not like he isn't good. He is, he's won yeah. trophies. He's gotten points. But, like, if you guys wanted Tuchel, if you guys wanted Sorry, if there was anybody ever over the last couple of years— it's like it's a lesson to other clubs who are thinking about changing managers. If you have a better idea, go for it. If you wait too long to pull the trigger, you're going to get left behind. And I think Emery can do. You know, he can be successful. He's obviously been successful. To your point, like it's this job is going to require a certain level of charisma and just a certain level of personality, a certain vision that is just absent. Um, and you know, you mentioned you, you know you wait too long. Guardiola was always going to go to Manchester City. That was preordained. Mm-hmm. If Klopp is given the choice between Liverpool and Arsenal at the moment in which those jobs kind of were open or available, if they had pulled the trigger on Wenger, maybe he chooses Liverpool. But he's he's you know he's making a decision there. Sure, and yeah. I think that's that ultimately is kind of the greatest sin of the last three, four, five years. Yeah, and speaking of that management carousel, you know, Mikel Arteta is probably the hottest prospect out there, and now Everton seem to be angling toward him. Obviously, he has history at Everton and Arsenal. It would be a shame if Arsenal missed out on him, and he became a great manager, He too. was the one—wasn't he, like— Yeah. He was, like, he was like off the board, like, really, like Arteta's about to be named, and then it switched think, out, right? It yeah, fell yeah apart. it was something about him not having his back staff, backroom staff ready, or his assistants or something, and Emery was more plug or and play. Or them not wanting to— get the guys he wanted, right? Maybe, like, something maybe like that. Like, Here's, yeah. You have to take... Uh, but that was a whole Gazidis thing too, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, Liverpool, eight points clear at the top. I have some Liverpool-adjacent news. We mentioned the Club World Cup. Chris, I know you were following this very closely on Saturday. In Lima, neutral ground. First time ever that the Copa Libertadores final was a single match at a neutral ground. Flamengo, 2-1 over River Plate, the defending champs. Two goals at the death. Fucking scenes. <laughs> scenes. Gabriel <laughs> Gabigol Barbosa, who's on loan from Inter. The first uh, Copa Libertadores win for Flamengo since 1981. They also clinched the Brazilian League on Sunday. Great for them. Potential Club World Cup final matchup for Liverpool. Did you guys at least watch the highlights? Yes. It yeah, I watched the game, actually. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. It's a. I, I love the Copa Lib. Um, yeah, yeah. it goes back I'm to I'm glad like, you're saying Copa Live because if I had to say it one more time <laughs> but it goes back to my days like you were saying of like when Fox Soccer Channel was like you know, oh yeah, and yeah. It, they used to ju- it was that and on Deportes too they used to just show these South American games and sometimes it was like one of the only matches you could watch and that's when I first like got to see Boca play at Bombonera and everything so I mean sometimes the footballs are not always at the quality that you would kind of hope for it to be at but the atmosphere is always completely the off game the game is so different though the game just kind of reminds you of a certain I mean I, I do enjoy watching it for that that reason too it's it's it brings you back to like just kind of an old it's just it's very old school and yeah you, you get to see like all of a sudden you'll look around and you'll be like oh is that Felipe Luis like oh that's where he ended up you yeah know, back but it's also those. like you know like this game especially because obviously it was a cup final it was just like the when River scored first the Flamingo manager walked out like and he just looked like he was about to burst into tears and he was where he looked like like Wolfgang Puck and he was just like, <laughs> like this long flowing gray hair and a vest on and he was like tearing up and I was a like, little bit like this Pellegrini is it, man this yeah. is what's up um if I could do if I could have one experience in my life that I haven't, well, there's many, but one of them <laughs> just one 
is to be in that end when a goal is scored and Just everybody runs towards the, the chain link. Yeah. That seems like the most terrifying yet exhilarating thing that could ever happen. Yeah, and the ending of this match, it was two goals. One was like in the 89th and one was in stoppage time. So, you know who's really happy? Do you guys know this guy? Mauricio Do Anjos? You might have seen him on Vice. Maybe Deadspin did a story on him. It's the guy that has a Flamengo kit literally tattooed <laughs> on his body. He's vindicated. That's commitment. Uh, I'm trying to bring it up to show you guys. The Club really. World Cup, too. I mean, you, you know, you got Neymar. He had Neymar there a few years ago. I remember watching Boca in there and seeing uh, uh, Ever Benega. Like, it's, all, it's kind of fun to watch those games. And when you actually kind of come across a guy, I mean, I know that's that happens less uh, less often now where you see those kind of young 19, 20-year-old South American players play on those teams anymore because they leave so early. But Well, I'm calling it right now. Doing, they're going to beat Liverpool in the final of the Club World Cup in Qatar. Thanks, Don. <laughs> hey, do you guys have like a South American team you cheer for? Boca only because for that reason they were the team that you would watch love the kits too and and just watching Raquel May yeah. um, is just kind of the, Tevez, yeah. just the, the vision of soccer that I, I just I mean, it's a, I talk about a mood maybe Palmeiras yeah no, no reason yeah alright let's close with Chris since you're here this, okay this NBA stuff I've been reading great article Kevin O'Connor on the ringer.com great site today or was it yesterday about these this proposal to kind of juice up the regular season in the NBA, possibly have like a mid-season European soccer-like tournament. Yeah, like an FA Cup going. Yeah. yeah, what do you make of all of that? I think it would be fantastic for the NBA. Uh, I don't think it really helps with the idea that we already have too many games, that that's become a huge rallying cry around or They would the cut league. four games like 82 to 78? It sounds like it, and then they would incentivize, you know, I, I, I think that, What's the incentive is the question. Is it cap relief for the team? Because what's in it for the players then? Is it um, just bragging rights? Is it bragging rights with, uh, a, you know, a cash cash reward? That's cool. You know, I think that there's some questions about that. But one of the things that I think the NBA and the MLB suffers from is a couple of weeks into the season, your team could be completely out of it. And you still have like this long stretch of like, okay, am I going to follow the magic or the tigers throughout like what is essentially a write off of a season, but to have a play in tournament or have a, have a in season commissioner's cup type tournament during the NBA, you know, if you're the Suns and you're seven and six and you feel frisky and you kind of want to play it, it, like go for it in this tournament, it would be really cool. It would be really cool to see the Lakers versus the bucks in a neutral site. I think if they played that game in like Chicago or Miami or at the Garden, like that would that would rule. God, neutral site basketball would be <laughs> yeah, would be like wild. to make it a little bit more like March Madness. I think the interesting thing is in the NBA, one of the dominant storylines and talking points of the season has been load management. And if you go over to Europe, all you hear the top managers to do is complain about how many games their players have to play. <laughs> right. So I don't know why we're looking to the sport that also seems to have a load management problem and saying, what do you guys do? Can we stay, take some of that? I personally think the NBA season should be two college seasons. It should be 60 games. Uh, it seems like the lot, most logical amount of games. And then I, I think that there should be a, some sort of tournament system going on throughout the season. I thought you were going to say two seasons like split up like the Belgian League or something crazy. No, like no, that. I don't <laughs> think there should be an aperture and a clausura. <laughs> but I do think that it's really fun. If you have a team like the Warriors, wouldn't you like to see them try to win a double or a triple in a season? Yeah. You know, yeah. Isn't, isn't that the mark of like a truly historically great team yeah. is one that collects more than one or two trophies in a season? Yeah. I mean, that's what's interesting that they're taking or apparently taking cues from European soccer. You and could the have way a club world cup are. for basketball. <laughs> 
That's send, right. send the Warriors over to play against, you know, Olympiacos or Cheska Moscow. Would no, you, I, I agree with Chris. I, I think, yeah, I would love to see them kind of gimmick the NBA format, but the thing they have to solve first and foremost is just the amount of games. Because the Wiz is like an interesting example of like the Wiz score a ton of points. My beloved Wiz. And is a complete like, what if the Wiz just like had weird tournament magic? Even yeah. though they're considered yeah. one of the five worst teams in the league, they could be anyone on any given night if they put up 140 points. It'd be like a Wigan FA Cup or something. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah, it'll add some excitement. All right, that brings our episode to a close. It's actually our Thanksgiving episode, so do you guys want to say something you're thankful for in football? Cloppage time. <laughs> He's thankful for cloppage time. Not thankful for much, but I, uh... <laughs> I'm I'm thankful for Arsenal's kits. We can say that. They're nice. They're nice, yeah. The most beautiful thing about this season. Congrats, Donnie. <laughs> All right, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Connor. Uh, we'll see everybody in two weeks. Bye.